Welcome to the Wealthier Together podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to help women cultivate wellness in all areas of their lives. Welcome to season two of the Wealthier Together podcast. The first interview of the season is with Smith Banfield, the founder and creator of Create Clear Space. In this interview, we're going to talk about how clutter affects our health, why we collect clutter, and the importance of mindful shopping. Smithfield is the founder of Clear Space, and she lives and works in New York City, where she and her company are known for their expertise in, in move and relocation management, along with crafting superior solutions and functional spaces for her private clients. With her compassionate curiosity, closet wizardry, and a sharp eye for detail and magical skill of creating space out of thin air, Smith sets her clients free from their overwhelmed homes. Smith has collaborated with the Container Store, and through their partnership, she has been in over 400 homes in just four years. From penthouses to suburban family homes, Smith has seen it all. Smith's clients experience a shift in their beliefs about their belongings, which gives them the permission to let go of what no longer serves them. They come to know a new peace in their home and a renewed sense of possibilities, as well as the ability to find anything they need in under a minute. Smith believes that our wellness is directly connected to what we are surrounded by, whether in our homes or in the world. Her ability to visualize and create inspiring environments and bring consciousness to choices we make about what surrounds us generates results that are absolutely life-changing. So welcome, Smith. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm great. How are you, Blessing? Thanks for having me. I am doing well. So can you tell us a little bit more about your story? Sure. Um, I had a very long and winding path to get to where I am, and it, it really was based in I thought there was something wrong with me because every job I had, I was dissatisfied with within a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And I didn't come from entrepreneurial people at all. And it didn't, I really just had a mentor who I used to represent photographers for assignment work in the advertising industry. And a, a friend of mine who became a mentor said, you could do this on your own. You should, you should just rep them on your own. And I was like, Okay. And so I did that for about 10 years um, and a a couple of different combinations, but it wasn't satisfying because my goal was to be creative and this was literally just a sales job. I got to be around creative people, but I was never the creative one. And so I kind of stretched out and looked into a creative consultant who guided me to kind of like really come to like what I was looking for. And I ended up finding letterpress printing, which I had always loved. Um, I loved it as an art. I loved it as the quality of the paper and realized that I could learn how to do it. And I up and started a custom uh, wedding invitation company. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, okay for a little while until I would be at these wedding shows and realized that, well, I eloped and I have no interest in this industry. And here I am not being my authentic self, asking people about what are your flowers and what color your bridesmaids dresses when I really didn't care. And so that was like so devastating to me because like, oh my God, it's not just that like, I don't like any of my jobs. Like now I don't even like my businesses, like what's going on. So that was a really, 
I went to a dark place after that for a good long time. And um, to add fuel to that fire, I worked with my husband. He had a business that was getting off the ground. And I said, you know, if I come and work with you, that'll offer you more time to sell and I can just do all the little stuff. And the little stuff consisted of like data entry, which is like the last thing someone like me should be doing. And it was <laughs> really, really hard on our relationship. And mm -hmm. he worked out of the home. So it was like, there just was no end to the days and the weeks. And I really, out of desperation, started listening to The Secret. And then I was introduced to Abraham Hicks. And if people don't know that, they can just Google it. But it was really like this different way of, you know, you can create whatever you want. And I started going down that path of like, what am I good at? You know, who do I want to help? Where, how, where could I be of service? I detoured a little bit and thought, oh, I'm going to just be an artist. Let me be an artist. And I love being creative and I love painting and drawing. But at the end of the day, I, and not that I don't think art is helpful in some ways, I didn't feel like I was being of service. Like, I, like even if someone enjoyed something I created, I didn't get to witness that. So when I went on a road trip back at the end of 2012, I was like, I'm going to drive myself crazy trying to figure this out. So I'm like, it's up to the universe. And to be perfectly honest back then, I didn't even realize like, or really believe that that was anything that was going to happen. I was just like, I need to get this off my brain. It's killing me. And three weeks later on my drive home, I mean, it's like, I'll never forget. I was on I-95 driving North in South Carolina and in my left ear, I heard a man's voice say, you're a home organizer. And I just didn't even know what that was. I have goosebumps now just thinking about it. I didn't know what it was. And I kind of thought like what it might be and how I could be good at that. And I mentioned it to my husband. He's like, that sounds about right. <laughs> and in January, like two months later, I started my business and just like had clients and just like it just happened. And I would say about a year and a half later, at a random networking event, uh, I started talking to a woman because I liked the color of her glasses. Mm -hmm. And uh, within two minutes, she was like, oh, I think you'd be a good fit for this new program the Container Store is doing. And she was a life coach. So I was like, what do you know about that? And she's like, I used to work there. I, was, I worked there for eight years. So that led to an introduction to the person who created this contained home division. And what was really special about that was this got me in a volume of homes I couldn't have done on my own in like, there's no way I could get in 400 homes. It's just not realistic. Mm -hmm. And these were, you know, I just got these very warm leads and I would go into people's homes and this was all container store pricing. This wasn't my personal business, but I was, it assisted me to see how people were living. And like what their real issues were and that like nobody knew what to do with their shoes. And there was always going to be packed closets and, you know, people in beautiful homes were living kind of in squalor. And how could I, you know, bring that into my business? So it was really the container store gave me all of the ingredients and all of the research I needed to really hone in on clear space, what I could offer that was special. So it was, um, it all felt very aligned. And that's something that if there's anyone out there struggling with what they're doing, like the second you get on that right path, and even if it feels wrong or weird, or you don't even understand why, but you have a pull, freaking go, because it's, it's amazing compared to everything else I've done in my life. This has been easy and um, full of wonder and delight and just magical, just a really magical part of my life. 
Wow, what a story. I think it is important to be aligned. And like you were saying that you eloped and you were asking people about flowers and you're like, I don't even care about this. <laughs> I think that, <laughs> you know, there's someone out there that does care about the flowers and all those mm -hmm. things and they are better suited for that type of job. And so I think a lot of times we just kind of get used to what either our parents tell us or what society tells us. And especially people who are extremely creative, you know, they are usually, they're not always bad, poor students, but, you know, just our educational system, it does not expose you to actually using your own gifts. They're training yeah. you to be an employee. And so people are bitter after 20 years of working <laughs> wherever, and, you know, pensions and all that stuff are like going away. So it's just like, you know, if you're going to, because we spend most of our lives working, if you're going to be spending that much time at work, I think it's best for your health and for your mm -hmm. emotional health and mental health and physical health, if you are doing something that you are gifted to do. Now, it's not always going to be, you know, extravagant because we all have different gifts and that's just how it is. But, you know, people who are doing things that they, they love and they enjoy doing, whether it's being a janitor or like a wedding planner, whatever it is, you can tell the difference. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, mm -hmm. I think it's... I think it's good that you brought up alignment because I think that is very important in your journey and also in getting your home organized. Well, and that's, that's really what I have found. And you touched on it when you're like, you know, we do things because of society or because your parents tell you that's sort of how we organize our homes too. Not that we've been taught necessarily because most people aren't, but we just model what we've seen or what we think. And people, buy things that they think they should have that when I'm in there and I question it, they're like, Hmm, why do I have this? <laughs> so, <it's, laughs> so it is all about alignment. And I think that's part of my business is really like, I go for the, the deep inside of someone and like really reflect it back to them so they can feel comfortable with the decisions they're making. That makes sense. And one of the questions I have to ask you is why do people buy things they don't need? And so you've partially uh, answered it. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, I don't have the perfect answer for this. And I can mm -hmm. just tell you, we, we are all so, the word weakened comes to mind. Like, like we're so inundated with advertising that it's almost like on a, on a, I won't even say daily, on a minute by minute basis, we're feeling less than. And because we all know when, when people are selling, they push on your pain points. So when you're exposed to all of this advertising, pushing on, oh God, yeah, I wish my hair was more lustrous. Oh yeah, I wish I lost weight. Oh yeah, I wish I had that car. You know, it's, it's like this constant state of not enoughness. And so it's like a way to pacify ourselves. Now we're only thinking in the moment of having that thing and like, oh, when I have it, I'll feel better. But I'll tell you the, the spike of, you know, excitement is in the purchase. Mm -hmm. You know, once it arrives, whether you order it online or it arrives in your house, like you've got like the unboxing, which sometimes has a little thrill to it too. But the real spike is pushing the button and, and clicking and, or being at the register and buying like that moment of making the decision is like the release. And then we're not thinking about the responsibility that comes with these items we're bringing into our home, especially if we already have too many things in our home. So it's my philosophy in terms of people having too much really starts with mindful shopping. And 
becoming really present to the emotions you're having when you're shopping. And I think that's what's missing. That's why people buy what they don't need because they don't think three steps ahead of where am I going to keep it? You know, how often am I going to use it? Is this really making my life better? Why am I buying this? How am I feeling? Do I feel sad and this is just something to make me feel better? Am I sad because of something personal that has nothing to do with this item I'm buying? So when we just question all of those things and have a moment, it breaks, it just gives you a little break in that, that engine that's running to buy to just say, hold on a second, let's just give it one. And it doesn't take any time to do this. You know, it's not like I'm telling people to analyze every single purchase they make. But you know those purchases. You know yeah. the ones that are just kind of like, oh, let me just, or <laughs> I need this, or I deserve this. And I'm not saying you don't deserve to have the pretty dress if you see it in the window and you just know it's going to look spectacular at the event you're going to. But when you are with a friend who has to shop for something and then you feel like you have to shop for something and you're like grabbing things because you just feel like, well, I'm here, I might as well. That to me is where all the filler comes in. And it's really shopping's a habit for a lot of people. It's, it's, I don't want to go as strong as addiction. There are some people who are addicted to shopping, but mm -hmm. everyone's got a vice. And some it's in the form of food, some's in the form of drugs, some's in the form of shopping. And I think when, you know, I go into someone's home, I know if they like shop for clothes regularly. I know if shoes are their thing. I know if, you know, having a full pantry is their thing. It's very easy for me to see what their, what their thing is. Mm -hmm. And what I try and do is bring their awareness to why, you know, why are these so important to you? Why are you holding on to the clothes that don't fit? Why are you holding on to these things? So, and it's not from judgment. I'm just opening up the space of like, you can tell me anything and I'm not going to make you wrong. I just want you to hear your reasons behind having it. I think that's definitely true. And I think like what you said about you can go in and you can kind of tell what the person's vice is. Our homes are a reflection of what we value. And mm. so, you know, and especially homes are very like personal places. Like you, it's where people go and they're able to be themselves away from, you know, the world and all the taxing things. So that's also a very personal space that you're entering. Yeah. And then also helping them, like you said, in a non-judgmental way to notice those different emotions. I've realized that emotional awareness is, I mean, it's the foundation to everything, emotional health, well-being, awareness. When you are aware of the emotions that are driving you to do things, you make more, like you said, more, someone can be a more mindful shopper. You make more mindful decisions if you're yeah. aware. But if no one tells you to, or you don't tell yourself to stop and think, what am I really going to do with this? Do I need the extra pair of shoes? Do we need to get another freezer to put more food in? If no one does that, again, like you said, it's a habit. And so usually our habits need to be interrupted for us to become aware of, why or even take a look at why things are done in a specific way yeah yeah it's really and i think that's part of it we're so busy in society right like we're all so busy mm -hmm. but i think a lot of that busyness really comes in the form of our phones in the palm of our hands like that's really the busy and you know it's like we're we're trying to see what's going on and we're planning our days and we're on the phone and we're texting and we're calling and we're social media and all this stuff and that's like, when I say to people, if you think you don't have time to get organized, then start calculating how many hours you're on social media or watching Netflix or whatever. I guarantee you have time. And the thing about it is I know 
organizing doesn't seem fun to people, but it's because they don't know how. And I'll talk more about it later, but I have a book coming out where my book really addresses, it'll tell you how to get organized, but before you get to those chapters, I want you to read and learn about awareness and mindfulness and your beliefs and your habits and how they got there and why you're holding on to that piece of furniture that you hate and why you have poor storage solutions because you were never taught and I'm going to teach you. And my feeling is that by starting with the mindfulness and starting with the like, why do I shop and starting with all of these questions, by the time you actually get to doing the physical removal or organizing, it becomes so much easier because you've already decided in your mind, oh, right, yeah, I don't need this stuff. I, I needed that 20 years ago. Someone else could use it now. And I do like to come from a place of how can I make someone else's life better by giving them something I no longer appreciate? Similar to what you said about like, there is someone who is very good and very interested in your, in your bridesmaids dresses and your flowers. And that person should be doing that job where, and that's the clue for me to go and do something that I'm more aligned with. So it's all to me, I feel like that's sort of what's missing from organizing when people try and do it on their own is it's like this fear of I'm not doing it right or I don't even know where to start. But to me, I'm like, that's, that's not even where you should be thinking. Where you really want to be thinking is about your behavior, <clears throat> which brings up a lot of shame for people. So that's also why they avoid it. That makes sense. No one likes to feel ashamed or feel yeah. less than. I mean, the companies on TV and commercials are already telling you, you're not pretty enough. You need this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that yeah. makes sense. That makes, that makes perfect sense. So what is the connection between physical clutter and mental clutter? Because I know that people don't touch on this, but it, there's, there's a connection. Oh, yes, of course there is. So mental clutter, I believe, really is, <clears throat> it's connected to physical clutter in, in a couple of different ways. But the way I look at it is if you are in a cluttered environment, and I, I will use a very simple, simple example. If you were to take a drawer and you, you are going to just put all of your socks in it and you take one half of the drawer and you pair them up and keep them together and the other side is just a disaster of socks, right? Mm -hmm. By the end of the week, you will have used all the paired up socks because <laughs> your brain, right? Your brain doesn't have to do any work and sort and find and it saves time. Yeah. And, and like, so that's su super easy example. Now, I want to make very clear that not everybody is overwhelmed by clutter. It's only like, I only speak to those who are like, I can't live like this anymore. I know plenty of people who live a cluttery life and it works for them. And I think there are some artists and then, you know, some very genius level people who just have clutter around them and they can function. Their family may not be able to handle it and it might upset them. And that's where I always talk about you got to stay in your own lane. Like if you've got an issue with your clutter, fine. If you've got an issue with someone else in your house's clutter, you got to stay out of it. All you can do is model the behavior and, you know, do it with a good attitude. And then you might inspire someone to do the same. But what we have to understand is we don't all think the same. We don't all do things the same. We don't all like the same things. And I feel like every day we're hearing about, you know, even if we just, and I don't want to go down this road, but looking at the political environment, it's like we're trying to get everybody to do everything the same way and believe the same stuff. And we're just never going to. It's like we all have a different experience on this planet. 
So with the mental clutter that I find from my clients is they'll come and say, I'm so overwhelmed, I don't even know where to start. And the second I come in and give them the structure of like, first we do this, then we do this, then we do this, by the end of the day, it's like literally they've lost 40 pounds of weight off their shoulders. And they like, I can see the change in them because now they know what they have, they know where it lives, they know how to find it. And when you think about when those three things are missing from your life, you're spinning out. Every single day, you're spinning out, looking for things, wondering where things are, trying to like not be late again. It's like a vicious cycle. So it's sort of like putting the stop sign up and being like, I can't live like this. What are the steps I can take? Because, you know, rather than pop a pill because you're overwhelmed and have anxiety, maybe it's the way you're living. You know, maybe it's like time to kind of like turn and look at your environment because when you say people's homes are a reflection of what they value, that's what it should be. It generally is not. It generally is filled with things that they don't even know why they have or why they got them to begin with. So I would love for people to, to think about, you know, my home is a reflection of me. Do I like what it's reflecting? It's like a big, it's a big thing for people to understand. And, you know, we work so hard to get our homes just A, to have a home. Yeah. B, right? And then B, to like keep it up and maintain it and make it look good is a whole other thing. And I feel like it's all like, it's all connected. So it goes from that thing you're going to buy. If you could look at that, I compare things to things when I say things, meaning any little item you might buy. I think mm-hmm. all things require responsibility. They need to be maintained. They have a life cycle. You need to know where to get rid of them, how to get rid of them, how to not poison the planet any further. But that's also, that's the same with your, your home is now the reflection of all the stuff that you have to maintain in addition to your home. So I use the example of if you had a child who wanted a dog, you would talk about, oh, well, it's a lot of responsibility. You got to take it for a walk. You got to feed it. You got to take it to the vet. You got to clean up after it. And that's like, you kind of got to do that with everything. So how many things do you want to be responsible for? How much can you take on? And I am not a minimalist. I am not suggesting to live with, you know, five pieces of clothing and have the least amount of items you could possibly have. I think we're in this world to experience stuff and, and really to um, uh, want more. We're always going to want more. That's just the way we're created. It's like we always want something else. But what we haven't learned is how to let go of what's holding us in place. So when people are striving to like, I want a new job or I want to start a business or I want to love in my life, I say, well, where does that fit in this, in your home? We have no space for the new love of your life. We have no space for this new job that you want to have. So let's create the space to bring and call in what you want. And that might mean letting go of your college textbooks. And that might mean emptying out a drawer to create space for the person you want in your life and sleeping on one side of the bed instead of in the middle of the bed. You know, all these little things that may seem silly, it's all energy. It's all impacting us one way or the other. And you know, I have these conversations with people and they sometimes get overwhelmed with the idea of it. And it's like, it doesn't happen overnight. It's like a process and you just do a little bit and it can, you know, my team can come in and turn you around in a week and a half for sure. 
But I think to work on your own, you have to be really gentle and, you know, work with categories or work with the room that's bothering you. And you have to see success. Success might be clearing out a drawer and then organizing that drawer and being like, I did it. Okay. If someone's going to go into their basement and just move pile after pile after pile and just feel exhausted and, and just not know what to do next, then you're not going to have a win. So you got to look for a win. And like I said, it might be a drawer. Just start there. I think it's important, like you said, to celebrate those little wins and also to realize that it's a process. We're so used to watching movies and social media where there are these instant transformations <laughs> and that's never, ever, mm -hmm. ever, it's never, it's not realistic. Like mm -hmm. if you have been, you know, hoarding things or not hoarding, but like collecting things that you don't need from like you're talking about college textbooks. I mean, if you have a lot of them, I mean, I guess you could get friends to help you move them, but you know, if you're doing it by yourself, mm. it's not realistic to be like, oh, I'm going to wear myself out because then you wear yourself out, then you have no interest yep. in continuing. And so, you know, if, if that is your goal and you want to be, you want to create space in your life and in your home by letting things go, that that's always a gradual, you know, that's always yeah. a gradual process. It's not a, let's let everything go at once. It's a little bit much. Right. And speaking of like letting go, I always feel like I have to be really clear about this, that, you know, people get really excited and just start throwing stuff in a garbage bag and, and like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I, I, I filled up 12 garbage bags today. And I like my heart sinks because I'm like, but what did you throw away? Like what shouldn't be going in the landfill? What should be donated? What should be repurposed? What should be recycled? And that's like, again, that's another reason why people don't do it is because they don't know where stuff should go. And I'm making a huge effort to collect all of my resources so that, you know, people, and there are plenty of resources out there already, but it comes to a point of where it's like, I'll, I now have a collection of plastic bags that I save and bring to Whole Foods because they will take all these plastic bags. I, I made a rubber band ball, which I didn't know I actually could figure out how to do that, but I made a rubber band ball of just any rubber band I came across in my house because if nothing else, it can be a ball I play with my cats with. But like, I look at all these rubber bands that would have been in the garbage that are like never disintegrating and never going away. So it's, it's like these little things and, you know, like dental floss and, you know, pens when we're done with them, all this plastic that we've been like getting rid of. Um, I'm trying to find a better way. And I'm not saying you should live in squalor because you don't know where to dispose of things. I'm just saying, just have an idea. You know, that no clothes should ever go in the garbage because there are people, there are companies even like H&M that take any, you know, you can have a stained, ratty, disgusting t-shirt and they will take it because they will either chop it up and it'll become the innards of a sofa or um, they'll repurpose it into new clothing. So there, there are things out there. There's so much on social media now. And I would say to people, if you don't know how to recycle certain things, just start following some people on social media. And maybe replace some of the other shop, the people you follow that are selling you stuff, replace that with uh, people who are going to tell you how to better the planet. And I think it's like, we have to pay attention to what we're inviting into our lives in social media. Um, and all, you know, if you feel like you have a problem, stop, stop having the temptation in front of you. That's very true. Um, a lot of people really don't know what to do with things. So the, like a week or two ago, 
the, my microwave started making these like weird sparking noises and I was like, mm, that's not good. So, no. you know, I went in there, like it was clean. I went in there and I Googled, what is it? What I Google? I Googled what happens when your microwave is sparking. And so it was talking about there's this microwave guide plate that needs to be checked. And if it's sparking, it means that it's dirty. And I was like, it looks clean, but I cleaned it anyway. And I was like, well, what am I going to, how am I going to, where am I going to throw this? I can't, it doesn't look like I can just throw it in the trash can. Yeah. And so um, Austin has a, so the cities where people live, I don't know if all of them do, but Austin specifically has a place where you can take appliances. So they have places where you can take things like appliances and they have a whole other category, multiple categories of things. All you have to do is go if you're in Austin to the Austin website and they have something it's called recycle and reuse, mm -hmm. or they even tell you where you can, you can dispose of ink and hazardous like things. And so I think also looking to see if your local city has something too, because I wouldn't have known. Now yeah. I cleaned that little plate and the microwave is fine, but you oh. know, I, I wouldn't have known that, you know, I was just going to chunk the whole thing and it was that this, uh, just that little plate, but you know, I didn't have to take it down there, but there are at least some cities, I would assume all, but I know that Austin does that. And so if something happens, if it starts to act up again, I can take it there and they actually fix it and give it away to others for free. Oh, that's so, great. you know, I don't know what other cities do, but I know that Austin does do that. So, well, Austin's a pretty special you. place. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Austin's very special. I think there are plenty of cities that have had to do this for sure. Mm. And um, there's, there's always a way. And, and when you brought up like, I know New York has um, these safe events and I can't remember what the acronym stands for, but it's mm -hmm. um, basically how you can get rid of paint or chemicals or cleaners in your house, nail polish, nail polish, ladies, don't throw it in the garbage. It's horrible. I, it makes me wonder what all the nail salons do, you know, like all of that stuff is super, super toxic for the planet. And so they have these safe events where you can bring and drop off all of this toxic stuff that they have a list for. And it was so, cause I didn't know until I got on that list that I was like, Oh, nail polish. I mean, I've thrown nail polish out, like not knowing. And that's certainly an item a, a woman would happily throw in the garbage if she's decluttering, if she's got an old crappy nail polish. And, you know, that's, I cleaned out all of my toiletries and my cleaning supplies back in 2016. My husband and I got whooping cough and any kind of chemical we breathed in was just horrific. I mean, we were literally sick for, um, five months. It was crazy. And, um, I switched to cleaning with essential oils and replaced all of my, everything in my home is, is non-toxic. And what I recognized was not only the volume of all those other cleaners and toiletries took up, it's like what I replaced them with, all of my essential oils take up less than one square foot. And my cleaning chemicals that I got rid of were probably four or five times that amount. <clears throat> you know, you think about what's under your kitchen sink and what you have in your closets and all that stuff. It's a lot of stuff. And you know, there's a cleaning agent for every single thing you could possibly want. And you just don't need all those chemicals in your life. And that I think, you know, we have such a sick society in so many ways. I think it's, you know, what we're surrounded by, what, what is the, you know, they talk about, there's so many things in California now where I think they have to notify when there's some sort of harmful environmental thing in a carpet or in the furniture or a mattress or 
the clothes that you buy, <clears throat> that all has to be disclosed there. And just seeing that awareness from a state like California is like, oh God, like I don't even think about the fumes and the, and the radiation and the, the stuff in our lives. We can't get too focused on that. But I think when we start making better choices for ourselves, it will automatically be better for the planet because my belief is that nature provides everything we need. And whether that's in the form of essential oils or the oxygen, the trees provide or whatever, it's all here. And we've taken it all into the laboratory and created all these chemicals that I think are creating so much sickness that then the pharmaceutical companies is going to make something to make you better or believe you're better. So in that, I feel like this is a way to take back your power just by like, you know, when I'm shopping, I'm like, oh, this is half polyester. I know it's going to pill in two washings and I'm going to be really pissed and then I'm going to have to get rid of it and that's wasteful, so I'm not buying it. Like those, mm -hmm. That's the dialogue that goes on when I'm in a store and I want to buy a new sweater. It's like, oh, it has you know polyester in it. That's not good for the planet. There's nothing I can do with that. I'm not going to buy it. So there's this idea of people don't like being limited, but I feel like there's so much freedom and limitation because we are overwhelmed by all the choices. So like as an example, I don't wear the color black. Now I live in New York City. One of these reasons is because everyone wears black and it makes me a little different to not wear black. <laughs> the other thing, it's true. Yeah. And the other thing is, and you know, New York's a very dirty city. So wear white yeah. jeans here once and you'll learn that lesson the hard way. But I, you know, take that as, so when I go shopping, I can eliminate three quarter of the store. I don't even have to look at because it's all black. And so then I'll just go and find the colors that look good on me. And this was also, I worked with a wardrobe consultant who I was going to do a talk and she came and like looked at my clothes and she was like, you should just wear the colors that you've decorated your house in. And I was like, done. That's easy. <laughs> Brand colors. It's like blues and greens. And it's like, it's just, it suits my coloring. And that's, I literally have, you know, a one track mind and sure I have accent colors here and there. And I do fill in with like natural colors and neutrals, but it's that I love that. I don't have to look at those pink things that aren't going to look good on me anyway. Even if it's the cutest dress in the world, that color is not good on me. So for me, I'm always looking for tips and tricks of like how to not bring it home. And how to not bring it into the space to like create more for me to deal with. I think that that helps you simplify your life. And then also before you were talking about if you're following people that are always selling you something, mm -hmm. you know, we don't realize that we, our brains focus on it'll, if, if you're consuming many hours of, let's say you're on Instagram all day and you're following all these fashion bloggers, you're more than likely going to start buying things. I'm not really a big clothing person. I do like to look nice, but I can't follow these fashion bloggers that are wearing a new outfit every day because then it makes me want to buy and I know that I don't need it. So I don't follow them. Or if, yes. I, if I have a friend that is like that, always ha I just have, I just unfollow because I'm just like, I really don't need this. And if I didn't, if I hadn't seen this, I wouldn't have wanted to buy it. Like exactly. if I was in the store, I wouldn't have, I would have walked right by it. But it's because it's just, I don't know, I guess we have to, again, like we were talking about being self-aware and 
knowing when we are making emotional impulse decisions on a consistent basis. Again, like like you said, there's nothing wrong with like, oh my goodness, I see that dress. I love it. But if that, if you are saying that four to five times a day, you're in the store, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's your job Mm -hmm. and and you don't work there. Yeah. I think that increasing your awareness, increasing your, your thought process about what like you were saying that you need to be responsible for the things that you bring into your home. When you think about it that way, you're not as overwhelmed. You create whatever system that works for you. And then you focus on that. Like you said, you don't wear black. So that eliminates a majority of the store, which makes your life easier. So you're not living in the store. You're like, okay, all the black things are over there, colors over here. And you just go and you, you know, shop where you need to shop. So I, like you mentioned about, you know, people being overwhelmed. It actually, once you internalize it and then figure out how you're going to, you know, plan your life around it or how you're going to implement it, it's actually not overwhelming. Mm-hmm. But people I, internalize things differently. So, you know, everyone right. will have to do that. And then it simplifies. Exactly. And, you know, the thing that came up to me when you were talking again about the social media, it's like, we have not, none of us have uh, guidelines or, or training manual of how to deal with this overwhelm of social media and, and online shopping, right? When you think about for the volume of clothes you could buy online versus how many you could physically purchase, you know, <laughs> like, think about that. Yeah. Like it, you used to actually have to go to the store and, and try everything on and bring it back home with you. And I can remember in the 90s, schlepping, I was like so miserable. I like shopped until I was 30,000 in debt and like literally walking in with all these bags. And it's like the exhaustion of doing that. And like, it, it's like, it's something you couldn't do every day, but with social media and, and online shopping and just everything, like you could shop every single day. And I know people are not letting things go out of their house as quickly as they're coming in. And that is the issue. That's why there's Marie Kondo. That's why the container store sales are up. That's why we're in an, like this, we are finally in a place of abundance. Like we are in an abundance crisis. And people will still say, oh, no, but I still don't have the money I want. It's like, well, because you spent it all on this shit in your house that you don't need. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing is like people trying to connect the dots to people of like, you don't have the abundance in the form you expect to have it in. So figure out the form. And when you're shopping, does that fit the form of, of where you're going? And I think it's really important to have a vision of your life and, and really kind of determine, does this fit in that life or does it not fit in that life? Does this help me get to where I want to go or is it ta- holding me back from where I want to go? And I know I'm focusing a lot on shopping because I really believe this is the biggest issue we have right now. But it doesn't, you know, I go to like my mother's generation, I moved her three years ago and it was just like the letting go process was really painful for her. And there's so much history and like, you know, when you think about your microwave oven and we shouldn't even use that as an example because that didn't exist, you know, way back. But like, you know, back when people cared for their things, like, Mm -hmm. like you, if my microwave made a couple of zapping noises. And if I couldn't resolve it by looking up online, yeah, I would just get rid of it and get a new one and not think much about it. Like we're a disposal society. We dispose of perfectly good things or things that could be fixed very easily, but we have no idea how. 
and then like put it in the trash and then it goes to the wrong place. Whereas now we know there are places that will take your stuff and fix it and give it to someone in need. And that's really like where we're going to have to go. I mean, I think if we took all of our things, like it would be incredible to me if there was a way we could like look at all of the excess everyone has and what we could create with all that excess in terms of like houses we could furnish, you know, lives we could change. Like on on a bigger plane, I feel like by holding onto so much, you're actually keeping from those in need. And it's not really helping your life. It's hurting your life by holding onto it. So it's, it's a balance of like, how can I improve my life and improve someone else's life? And it's so easy. It is so easy to do that. That's really true. But they have to, people have to reframe their mindset because most people are not thinking that when they're, when Amazon is bringing that package to their door. No, they are not. They are not. No. And that's, there is no guidance. Like I said, around, around this, um, it's really interesting. And, And what will be interesting to me is to see like, uh, the millennials are sort of also getting older than I expect them to be, but <laughs> yeah, I'm like, Oh God, you guys are getting older. But even Gen Z, I'll be really curious to see where they are in stuff, you know, like, like they're a little tiny segue. My husband's business is about organizing people to play pool, pool league. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it's social, right? Yeah. When the iPhone came out, it was almost like it was crazy that there was a dip in people joining the league because you had entertainment in the palm of your hand and mm. people didn't know they didn't need to leave their house to have fun. And what we're getting now, um, all like in the last two years, there's this resurgence of these millennials who were like, no, I need to meet people. Like I, I need human connection. And so it makes me wonder how, how growing up with all this technology may turn uh, these younger folks into really appreciating, you know, experiences and quality time with people. And, you know, I'm curious they, if they will value stuff as much as we did, if our generation is different that way, or if that continues, I have no idea because advertising is so powerful. It's hard to know where it'll go, but there are definitely, um, some resistance and, and some, there's always a going back, right? That you'll always go back to black and white photography because we see color everything now. You'll always go back to the way things were. Like when I did letterpress printing, that was like the polar opposite of, of creating a design online, but I craved this, this tactile experience that you couldn't get with like slick printing um, or digital printing. So it's, it's interesting to see uh, in our lifetime, how how we're going to start coping with inundation of stuff that's available to us, and the inundation of things being made, like the that's volume, of, you know, like it's just there's so much, so much. I think it ebbs and flows throughout the generation. So eventually, it'll go back, and people aren't people's minds will change. Like you said, the people valuing actual in-person social interaction. A lot of people their social skills are stunted mm-hmm. and they can't carry out basic conversations. They can't like type properly. They can't, they don't fully spell like using abbreviations is not going to cut it. Like I've seen, I, I mentored, um, uh, he's a man now, but he was a, he was a child when I mentored him and through big brothers, big sisters. And he like, just the, I was like, is this English? Like mm-hmm. looking at his text, I was like, what is this? Mm-hmm. They didn't read books. 
he didn't know how to write in cursive. I was like, what are they teaching y'all in these schools? Like, these are things that we had to do. Yeah. I'm the kind of person, I handwrite things. Did yeah, you, something too. about handwriting it that, I don't know, makes it click? I'm not really sure. But like, no, there's, I there, can't do that. There are studies that show writing with your hand connects to a different part of your brain than typing. So I'm with you on that one. I absolutely, if I've got to like figure out strategy or plans or marketing or anything, like I am handwriting that stuff and then I will get it into the, into type form, but I can't think and type. That's not like my emails. I got to like write them and then I got to re-edit them. And like, you know, it's not, it's not the same for me. And I, I agree. I mean, I have a friend of mine who's 16 year old daughter can't even read script and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> like, that's how I write. Like I have like a, a scripty print kind of thing going on, mm-hmm. but, um, like I, I, it's interesting to me that people struggle. My dad, my dad still has beautiful handwriting at 82 and like he'll mail something and my husband's like, oh my God, like he has the most perfect handwriting. And I'm like, he took pride in it and he taught me to take pride in your hand and practice, practice, practice and how important that was. And God, now it's like, and he worked for IBM, right? Like, so mm-hmm. it's like he had computer stuff way before us, but everything he did was, you know, handwritten and, and processed. So it's really interesting. Yeah, I think it's what they, I think it's what they teach in the schools because I mean, we, I had to stay up. My mom made me stay up and practice cursive. Mm-hmm. I remember she would not let me sleep. So that haunts me now. And I'm just like, what are they doing with the kids now? Like they, they can barely write in print. I and I'm just like, this is really not good. So hopefully that'll also ebb and flow too. <laughs> I would think so. I, I would hope. I'll be an optimist on that one. Because it's not but, good. Yeah, yeah. It's wild. It's so crazy. So how does clutter affect our health and productivity? Well, it, it's certainly, um, I would say if we come from a place of overwhelm, you know, that's putting stress on your body, right? So mm-hmm. we've, we're already coming from a place of stress and depending on where you live, you know, you could say that um, people in cities are more stressed, but I don't even think that's true anymore. I think it's, it's the lifestyle of having too much is impacting your health in ways like you can't even know. And I mean, I'll just speak from while I don't have clutter, I have other stress in my life. And my dentist kept saying to me, do you grind your teeth? I'm like, no, I don't grind my teeth. Grind my teeth. And like now, like I had to, I have a cracked tooth in the back and it, and a, like two teeth are cracked in the back from like clenching. And I didn't even, I didn't even notice I was doing it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, that's just one thing, right? Like that's how I, my stress manifests is I'm clenching, which I think a lot of people have in their jaw, but it goes, it depends on where your mind goes in that. And so by being overwhelmed and by not knowing where things are. And like, you know, there's also just the idea of like, how safe is it to have stuff all around? You know, and I think people live a cluttery life, like there's stuff to trip over and like, you know, get lost in and, and not be able to find what you're looking for in that moment. And then you go and buy more and then you have money stress. So it all, I would say it's such, it's so physically inside of us, this attachment to things Mm -hmm. that, we have to understand that this is just a belief that came to us at some point in our very young lives that we can disengage from. So it's like, 
I find that my dad, who grew up very, very, very poor, he loves to say that when he turned sideways, you couldn't see him. Oh. And, uh, you know, family of six kids, the father died young. One of the kids was like hit by a car, like chasing a ball and died and like all this tragedy and horror. And like grandmother went to go get food stamps or something and they told her to get a job. Like, I mean, it was just like a really different time. Yeah. And when I look at in his relationship now, his partner says, he won't get rid of anything. He's got all this stuff. And like, by the example of what I've seen, he really doesn't have that much. Mm -hmm. But I try and impart on her, look, stay in your lane. There's only so much, you know, you can do. If you force him, it's a trust. It's a betrayal thing. You can't get rid of other people's things. True. But my, my father is holding on because he had nothing. Yeah. And I think that's true for a lot of people in an older generation. It's like, there's, there's an association of wealth with having a lot, except it's sort of like if you've got a lot of newspapers, that's yeah. not wealth. <laughs> if you have a lot of cardboard boxes and plastic bags and stuff that's technically garbage and should be recycled or taken out of your home, that's a trick I give people. Like if you want to feel like a little satisfaction, go collect every plastic bag and every empty box and just get it out of your house and see how you feel. And then start identifying like the next large clump of things that could, you know, it might be magazines, it might be, you know, books you don't read anymore. And, and that's something that it's really, that's why I say you really have to focus on yourself and what's good for you. And when you live with other people, it's really hard. But I said, if you've got a cluttery person in your household, you have to give them a dedicated area that they can have as, as a mess whenever they want without you giving them a hard time about it because you're ruining your relationship by just battling on something they're not ready to do. And sure. if you start behaving in a way where you're taking care of your things and you're folding your clothes and you're making the bed and you're keeping things tidy, it does, it does, you know, people start seeing that people can see like, Oh, but look how nice their room looks. And Oh, look how nice this part of the living room looks like you can inspire people by your actions. But if you're, you know, grumbling and mumbling as you're doing the dishes or making the bed or like cleaning up your stuff that you're not inspiring anyone to do anything. So it's also like, what kind of attitude are you conveying by doing the work it takes to keep a tidy home? That's true. It's more like living life by example, because you can't force people to change. People change when they, when they feel like it. And yeah. so the more you talk about it, the more it pisses them off and the more you know, they don't want to change. Cause I know that, you know, I usually follow instructions, but if someone demands that I do something and I'm not ready to do it, I'm like, you need to find something else to do. I'm not doing it just because you said it. Exactly. So, you know, and I, I would say that I'm agreeable for the most part, but as soon as someone demands something or orders me, I'm just like, yeah, you yeah. just delayed that until I can get over the annoyance from yeah. you telling me that. So, <laughs> but I think we all have that resistance, right? And that's where, you know, where I come from is not like you have to live in order. I don't believe mm -hmm. you have to live in order. You have to believe you want to live in order and then I can help you. Sure. And that's the difference. You know, I think so many people are out to fix other people who aren't looking for fixing. It's like, true, <laughs> and that's usually a sign you should start looking at yourself because what bothers us and others is yeah. really our own shit. So that's where I think it's really important to kind of say, oh, I'm criticizing this person about X, Y, and Z. Where does that show up in me? And, you know, you might find that you're pointing the finger about clutter of someone else. And then it's like, okay, where do I have clutter? And you just might have 
mental clutter about something, or you just might have a closet. I have a friend who actually proofread my first draft of my book, and she's someone who lives very sparsely, very, you know, neat and tidy, uh, doesn't have a lot of stuff. And she's like, oh my God, I realized I've got four boxes I've been dragging around with me for 20 years that I've never opened. It's just, oh goodness. Stuff I, yeah. And I'm like, oh, Tanya, <laughs> <laughs> I love this story because I would never know it. And that's the thing because she would criticize someone for having too much stuff or not understand someone for living a certain way. And then she's like, oh my God, I have it too. So it's like, that is the thing. It's, it's, there's this sense that um, I've got it all figured out. Oh, but look at that person. But if you look at why and how you're criticizing that person and reflect it back, you're going to find you got some stuff too. And maybe work on that first. <laughs> that is very true. That is very true. So can you tell us a little bit more about your book and then let us know where people can find out more about you, where they can connect yeah, with you? Yeah. So my book, as yet still untitled, <laughs> um, <laughs> it started as Consciously Creating Clear Space. And then I was dabbling with stuff isn't love and, you know, I'm not sure what the title will be. It's something in that vein. And mm -hmm. I expect for it to come out in probably end of summer, early fall. It will be an ebook for obvious reasons. I have decluttered so many decluttering books from people's homes. I do not want to be that decluttered <laughs> item. And I understand, look, I love books too, but I'm going to do it as an ebook and maybe there'll be an option. People can print it or something down the road. I just don't want to create a mass volume of books that may or may not be sold and feel that burden. So the book itself, I see it in two, two halves. And so, as I mentioned earlier, the first half is really just like, you know, why are you here? What is it about your stuff? How did you get like this? What are your shopping habits? How, and then like, I'll have tips and tricks. Like I've mentioned a few of those things, like, and really understanding who you are as a person in order to make educa better ed educated choices for yourself. Mm -hmm. Then we get into a chapter on letting go and that's sort of like chapter seven. It's like I'm leading up with all these like really inquisitive moments of, of who am I now? Like now, not who was I, but who I am now and where do I want to go and how does that all, like what can I let go of to further me on that path? And again, I have to just say that like, I am not someone who says never shop again, never want again, because I want new things for sure. But the difference is I buy a new dress, I get rid of the old dress. I buy a new pair of shoes, I get rid of the old shoes. I, I have a conscious effort and a conscious practice of one in, one out. And I would say in the beginning, when you've got too much, it's one in, two out. And when you're in the store and you're like, oh, I really like these black pants. And you're like, well, I've got, because the next chapter is inventory. Uh, oh, well, I've done my inventory and I've got 14 pairs of black pants. Mm -hmm. do, I you know, do I really need these black pants? Then my thing would be, okay, you can get those black pants, but you got to get rid of four of the other pair of pants. Um, because there's no way you're wearing 14 pairs of black pants. You wear your favorite pair that fit you the best, which are usually the ones you most bought most recently. And yes, you have different black pants for different occasions, but Besides working out um, casual and dressy, you probably don't need that many more. So it's really a matter of understanding your personal needs in your life and what you're trying to achieve. And, you know, as an example, I work from home. I don't need a huge wardrobe. If I worked yeah. in an office every day, I would have a much larger wardrobe. And I would, I personally would need that because I know that's how I would need to show up as someone who has fresh outfits and stuff like that. So the second half of the book, we really get into how to tackle 
your home and I start always with your storage spaces first because when that's where we pack in stuff that gets piled and piled and piled on. So we want to really, that's a great way to get rid of the old stagnant energy, the old stuff that like you've been holding onto that you don't need. So you can use those storage spaces for your current off season clothing and your current holiday um, things that need to be stored. And that opens up space in your home to actually live. So yeah. from that part, I talk a little bit about, you know, uh, setting up a room, how to lay out a room, you know, some pitfalls about like just, you know, having furniture up against the wall and how to choose colors and stuff like that. So it, it's really a full circle of how I sort of look at creating a space and personalizing it to either myself or someone else. And I'm trying to keep it light, you know, no, I'm not making anyone wrong. I just want to kind of take them on a, on a trip. And my fear is that people will open it and open to chapter eight because that's where it gets into the doing. Mm -hmm. And I really want people to start with the cerebral aspect of it and really understand why they are where they are and where they want to go. And with that power, it will absolutely make the second half so much easier. I think that it's definitely good to have it broken up that way. And I'll definitely keep an eye out for mm -hmm. when your ebook launches. So everyone let me will know. know. Everyone <laughs> will know. Okay. <laughs> so thank you for sharing your all of your expertise and telling us about your book. So can you let people know how they can get in touch with you or if they want to find out more about you or follow you on social media? How do they do that? Sure. So my website is clearspacenyc.com. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at create clear space and on Facebook. I'm pretty sure it's Smith Banfield Clear Space. I'm pretty, we've changed a couple times. I think that's the latest incarnation. So if you, if you search for Clear Space or Smith Banfield, you will find me. And I'm not going to, uh, if you follow me on social media, I'll give you inspiration. I won't, I won't make you go buy things. <laughs> <laughs> Always good to know. <laughs> yeah. well, thanks again, Smith. This, this has been a wonderful interview. Thank you again. Oh, thank you, Blessing. I so appreciate the invitation. And I look forward to speaking with you in the future. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Wealthier Together podcast. You can leave a review on iTunes or you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Wealthier Together. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics or speakers, you can also send an email to wealthiertogether at gmail.com. That is W-E-L-L-T-H-I-E-R-T-O-G-E-T-H-E-R at gmail.com.